0: Good evening brethren i appreciate your time and i appreciate your attention it is wonderful to be able to get up and speak to you this evening i will let you know that uh carrie told me if i get too long he's going to give me the signal and donna said don't get too intense you will scare them so there you have it i will do my absolute best to follow Uh, both sets of instructions. So I taught the uh, class in the back, the young adult class, last quarter, and so we were in 1 Corinthians. And when doing that, uh, when we got to 1 Corinthians 8, we just didn't have the time to go through that the way that I wanted to, so I'm going to go back and revisit that tonight. And so we will be spending our time in 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans chapter 14. So this evening we're going to be talking about matters of conscience or matters of personal conviction, specifically how we are to deal with our own matters of personal conviction or conscience and how we are to treat others when their matters of conviction or personal, personal conscience differs from ours. And I think uh, we can see that as we go through Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8. We will not be talking about matters of the faith or matters of doctrine. So when we apply these things, we're going to be talking about uh, matters of conscience or matters of personal conviction. So let's start by reading uh, Romans chapter 14. We already had the uh, scripture reading this evening and covered most of or parts of 1 Corinthians 8. So we'll do Romans chapter 14 right now. Now I accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls... And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself, For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for which Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who is in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. All right, so let's start by talking about the conscience. So so what is a conscience? Well, the conscience is the inner judge of moral issues in our lives. And a lot of people believe, not true Christians, but a lot of folks will believe and present that you're born with a conscience. Well, your conscience is formed, not only for us, it should be formed primarily by the word of God, so that our conscience is in alignment with his word. But it's also formed by the things that we have experienced in our lives. Now, we all grew up differently. Some of us grew up in the Lord's Church. Some of us grew up in denominationalism. Some of us grew up with no religious influence whatsoever. Those things that we learned and the things that that we have carried with us in our lives, those help to form the conscience that we have in some areas, and I'll illustrate that later. Again, God and his word is the primary place that we go for our conscience to be trained properly. You know, when I was a kid, they had these cartoons where you had a little angel sitting on one shoulder and a little devil sitting on the other. Those of you who are old enough remember those, right? Well, that was kind of representing the battle that can go on within you sometimes when there are things that are bothering or troubling your conscience. So let's look first at Romans 14 and talk a little bit about uh, the beginning of that. Just verse 1. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Now, that's New American Standard. New King James says, receive one who is weak in faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. So the beginning of this chapter tells us that we are not talking about matters of doctrine. We're not talking about things that we must be in alignment with one another on, but rather things that we have held as a matter of personal conviction or conscience. So as we go through and talk about this, uh, please keep that in mind. Now, the first time I really spent much time uh, studying Romans the 14th chapter, it was because there were some preachers who had decided that they were going to use Romans 14 to be able to agree to disagree on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. They had differing views on what the truth was, and yet they said, we'll put it in Romans 14, we can respect one another, and we can all be in fellowship with one another. Well, this is simply not talking about doctrine. It's not talking about the faith. It's talking about matters of personal conviction or matters of conscience. But that was the first. taste I had of that. So think about this text, what this text tells us to do. If this were talking about doctrinal issues, we would have to basically honor one another's beliefs no matter what those beliefs are. And we could all believe some very different doctrinal things and be in fellowship with one another. Well, that's that's simply not what it's talking about. But it is providing us instruction on matters of personal conviction. All right. So I want to give you, you may be thinking, well, we don't have this issue today. You know, we don't have those, we don't have meat being sacrificed to idols and then you know, deciding on whether that is something that we can eat or not eat. You're right, we're probably not gonna run into that. But there are all sorts of other things that uh, fit in this passage. So I'm going to give you um, a couple of personal examples. And the reason I give you personal examples is because they're real. And so then we can say, okay, well, there's something that actually happened. There's something that fits into this. So I'll talk to you first about uh, when Sarah was five years old and we were trying to make decisions on her schooling and we were in a congregation about the size of this congregation, 175, 200 people, there'd never been a family who had homeschooled in that congregation. So we were the first. Um, we got a pretty rough way to go from the brethren over that decision. And there were, and it was mostly women it was mostly sisters in Christ, that came to Donna and said, basically, this is a terrible idea. You're gonna ruin your kids. You know, they're gonna grow up without any structure in their lives. Uh, They're not going to know how to react socially. They're gonna have no social skills, just on and on. Sarah's not here tonight. She's uh, out sick, but if you know Sarah, I think her social skills have worked out okay, right? We may have given her too many social skills. I don't know. Uh, But these were sisters in Christ that, that came to us. I don't remember a man doing it, but I know Donna went through it a bunch and said you know, bad idea. Well, the longer we homeschooled, the more convinced we were that we had made the right choice for our family. However, I also know and understand that we don't have a pattern to follow. You know, God has not said, here's how you send your kids to school, right? He's given us instruction about what we as parents or grandparents are to do, what we're to accomplish, but he hasn't said, send them to public school, send them to private school, send them to homeschool. Any of those is acceptable. It's not a matter of doctrine, right? It's a matter of personal conviction or choice. Now, for us, I mean, I will, I will admit right up front, I was not as convicted about this as Donna was from the start. I became convinced that what we were doing was the right thing for us, right? And again, it's just it's a choice. Um, it was kind of interesting that years later, uh, one of the ladies who had talked to her came up and said, you know, I can see that, that this was a good idea, and I'm sorry. But just one, one out of, out of a number, which was great. But that's the kind of thing that we are not to be making judgments about one another. So let me give you one that is, it is personal just for me. The last one, there would probably be some folks in the room that, would, that might share that same conviction. This one, my guess is I'm on my own. All right, this is a matter of conscience for me. So we have a song in the songbook, number 440, and that song is Silent Night. So I grew up in denominationalism. My dad was a big-time choir director. We went to several different denominational churches when I was a kid. Well, when it came to religious holidays, Christmas and Easter, for somebody who, of a choir director's kid, it all revolved around music, right? There were, there were all these shows that would take place, you know, in association with either of those holidays. Well, that particular hymn for me immediately connects Christmas in a religious sense. Now, we all know that we're not to, we as Christians are not to celebrate uh, Christmas or Easter in a religious sense. David had a great lesson on that here a couple of months ago. And we don't. But for me, I cannot sing that song without that coming into my mind. Now I know, you know, the words, I worked on this for a little while to see if I could get around it. The words to the song are scriptural words. The tune to the song is a beautiful, is a beautiful tune. So it's not that I don't know or understand. So I don't need anybody trying to help me get through that, right? But it's just a—it's just a matter for me personally that if it's led, I just simply won't sing it. I don't have any problem with it being led or somebody else singing it. It's just—it's just something that I would not sing. So let me give you a third one, and this one is a little bit different. This is not a matter of conscience, and it's not really even doesn't have any religious connection. But I will give you this because it illustrates, I think, some of the things that we can do to one another when we're not thinking. Judgments that we can make and things that we may say. So I was 25 years old, newly married. Uh, We were in, and, and I was a babe in Christ. I was a new Christian. So we're in the first congregation of the Lord's Church that I was a member of. And we're sitting before services one Sunday evening in front of an older couple. And I was thinking this afternoon, that older couple was younger than I am now. So anyway, it's all in your perspective, right? I was 25, sitting in front of them. And she taps me on the shoulder and I turn around and in her most serious voice, and this was not a joke, she says, you know, I would never kiss a man with a mustache, there were all sorts of things, responses that came to mind, and I didn't use any of them. Uh, and it, it was at that point that I realized I was the only man in the congregation that had facial hair. It hadn't dawned on me before then. She, it, was, it so bothered her that she thought she needed to tell me that. And I guess, I don't know if she was the lady that had been chosen to tap me on the shoulder. I have no idea. I think she did it on her own. If you knew her, it wasn't out of character for her. Um, Had I been, had I taken it differently, I mean, I just kind of, you know, shrugged it off. No big deal. But as a new Christian, for that kind of judgment to be made about you, a different person might not have reacted that same way, right? I mean, it could have undermined my faith. And again, that was not a matter of conscience for me. But it was a matter that I think fits in how we treat one another and what we're going to learn as we see uh, here in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8. Now, I thought of uh, several things that I have seen over the years. And you would have a list. You would have things that you would add to that. I have no doubt. And the list could go on forever of matters of personal conscience or conviction that some brethren hold to that we are going to have to treat one another uh, correctly. So the first thing I think of was voting. Some brethren vote, some brethren don't vote. Some of the brethren I've known who don't vote, they're very convicted about that, that they could never vote for somebody who's not a Christian. Okay. It's not anything God has regulated, right? So some of us can, some of us uh, don't. Uh, this was one that was in, I've not met anybody younger, but older generations. I met a few folks who would not play any game that used cards or dice because they connected that with gambling, right? And so they wouldn't, And it didn't matter what the game was. Once you knew that about them, then you had to, you needed to honor that, right? Because that was their conscience. Uh, serving in law enforcement, serving in the military. Both of those are things that brethren have been on either side of that I do not see regulated by the scriptures. Uh, I already said public, private, or, or homeschooling. Celebrating secular holidays. Again, we know we don't celebrate them religiously. Some brethren don't celebrate them at all, right? Some brethren do in a secular manner. Uh, wearing the head covering, and you you could make a list. If we went around the room, I'm sure everybody would have a few different things that they would add to that list. But all of those things are examples of matters of personal conviction or conscience, right? Now, I may not be aware of a matter of conscience for a brother, and until I become aware, I don't have the same responsibility. But the minute I know, I think the scriptures will show us clearly that I have a responsibility toward that brother to honor him in that uh, personal conviction. The example with uh, somebody not wanting to use cards or dice. We had a gentleman in the congregation that was of that persuasion. Before we knew it, he had been invited to a game night. After we figured it out, then he was. We, there were no longer game nights that included games that he would not be comfortable playing. Simple, right? But that's honoring one another and honoring each other's matters of conscience. So, how do we handle these matters? We're going to spend the rest of our time looking at the scriptures and and exploring how it is that God would have us handle these things. So let's look back again at uh, Romans 14. We'll look at verses 1 through 3 to start. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Now, I I actually think the application here in Romans 14 is much more difficult than it appears on the surface. And why do I say that? Well, how do we tend to react when we run into somebody who has a, a conviction that is different than ours, or they've made a different choice? You know, there's all sorts of choices you might make as a parent that could be different from another brother and sister in the congregation. Well, how do we tend to react to that? Well, the first thing that usually happens, and it's just kind of natural, is we make a judgment, right? Is that what we are supposed to do? Not from what we read here, but that is what seems to be natural for most folks. If we could stop that, not make that judgment, then we don't have to go any further with the rest of what we're going to talk about, right? But that's what typically happens. And because we make the judgment, then we feel like we've got to convert that person to our position oftentimes, right? I mean, isn't that kind of the natural flow of things? Okay, I've made this choice, you've made that choice. Well, the choice I've made, obviously, is the better choice because I made it, right? No, you made a different choice. You didn't make a better choice. If we can stop the judgment, then we don't go on to react to that and to try to then convince someone of what we believe would be better for them. Now, you know, I talked about these ladies at, at the congregation with homeschooling. These were fine Christian women, these weren't scoundrels. I mean, These were good ladies, right? But they made the judgment, number one. Then they made a decision that they needed, and this wasn't a group thing. This was an individual, you know, one at a time, coming and talking to Donna about this. And they made that judgment. But what we learn here in Romans 14 is that neither brother is to judge the other. I hold hold one thing as a matter of conviction. You hold something that is different on the same subject. We are in fellowship with one another as long as we do not start judging each other and putting a stumbling block in front of a brother or sister. Right? Neither brother is to judge no matter which side of this that you are on. Romans 14, verse 5. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. When it comes to matters of conscience or matters of conviction, I have to be certain that what I am believing is what I am going to carry out. Right? I have to be convinced of this. I, don't ha- I, I can't have something that I'm not sure about or that might conflict with the word of God. I've, I've always got to make sure that I have checked uh, to make sure that is not the case. Romans 14:13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. So this verse takes that treatment of a brother a step further. We start by not making the judgment. Then we make certain that we have cleared the debris, if you will, uh, in his path. We can't put, we can't be shoveling rocks out there. So it's something he's gonna stumble over. And that's our responsibility to that brother. We simply cannot place a stumbling block in front of one another. You think about, as, as we discuss this, you think about what we wind up battling out in the world. We get all sorts of criticism over our Christianity, right? People find out who you are and what you stand for and what you do and what you won't do, and they find you very strange. And we are peculiar people when you compare us to the world and we should be. Right? But here, amongst brethren, this is where we are safe. Right? This is where we love one another and we make sure that we place our brother or sister's uh, needs above our own. And that's, that's just where we need to be. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 8, beginning in verse 9. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died... And so, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Verse 9, although I am free to practice something because it is, 1 Corinthians calls it a liberty, right? Liberty meaning God hasn't regulated it and I am free to practice it. Right up until it causes a brother to stumble or may be in conflict with someone else's conscience or something that they have uh, as a matter of conviction. I cannot cause a brother to stumble. I have to avoid it in his interest. Verse nine, let's look at verse 11. Tell me, this tells me that the way I use my liberty can actually ruin my brother if I disregard his matter of conscience. So the liberty I have, you know, we think of liberty, we just think, I can do it, right? Well, you can, right up until it causes a problem for your brother. And the moment that is something that could be taking place, we have to take a step back. And if we are properly treating one another, that's not hard to do. You know, it's not hard to show the care and love for a brother or sister that would say, it's my liberty, but I'll, I'll stay back from it. I'll step back. In verse 12, it says, And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. So the word that's translated here, wounding, literally means to strike. So when we disregard the conscience of a brother we are striking or wounding him spiritually. I would never think of walking up to you and giving you a good smack in the mouth, right? But we can do that spiritually, again, if we do not apply this properly. And at the end of this verse, where it says, wounding their conscience, when it is weak, you sin, oh, Let me back up, verse 12, the whole thing. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. So things that are matters of conscience or personal conviction should never be anything that we wind up in sin over, right? And yet how I treat my brother over these things can put me in a position where I may sin. I never want to be separated from God because I mistreated one of you. So let's look at Philippians 2. And I do promise we're wrapping up here fairly quickly. Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent in one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This is a set of verses that is talking in a more general sense. This is not applying directly to matters of conscience but it's applying to our relationship with one another at all times right we're to be of the same mind intent on one purpose and do nothing from selfishness or conceit so that goes back to putting your brother and his needs ahead of your own we're to be humble we're to consider one another more important than ourselves And we're to always look out for the interests of one another. We're going to wrap this up back in 1 Corinthians 8. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 13. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. So Paul suggests here that he would give up a liberty, gladly give up a liberty, to keep a brother or sister from stumbling. Think about all the lengths to which the Apostle Paul went so that he could preach and teach the gospel and so he could influence others and bring others to Christ. All the things that he suffered were small compared to I'm going to give up a small liberty for my brother. We will never sin against one another in matters of personal conviction or matters of conscience. If we apply what we have looked at here tonight briefly, God blesses us as his people with relationships with one another that simply cannot exist outside the body of christ nowhere else would you find this kind of instruction of how people are to treat one another than in god's word at this time we're going to offer the invitation of our lord i ask you if you have not answered the call of the gospel that you consider that tonight consider coming forward and repenting of your sins, being baptized in the watery grave of baptism and rising to walk a new life, or if for any reason you need the prayers of the church or anything that you have to straighten out in your life, you can come forward now as together we stand and sing.